Good morning. Oh, come on. The 8.30 service is both older and louder than you guys. <laughs> and y'all have more sleep. Let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Let's be motivated. Okay. Good morning. All right. So um, before I get started, uh, Pastor Ron uh, wrote something incredibly gracious uh, in the bulletin about me. And I just want you to know that about 75% of that is absolutely false. <laughs> I'd like to meet that guy, though. Um, but I, I do teach here at KCS, Community uh, Christian School. We've, we've got the church and we've got the school, and I do teach at the school, uh, and the upper chaplain, among other things. Um, and one of the things that I love about teaching at KCS is that it's a school that, that I wish I could have attended when I was growing up. And I know it's hard for people to believe, um, especially people who only know me in this context, uh, but I was a pretty shy and awkward individual growing up, uh, making me the perfect target for schoolyard teasing. Nowadays, I'm just awkward. Okay? To give you an idea of what I was like, uh, my parents quickly learned that grounding me and sending me to my room as a punishment wasn't as effective with me as it was with my sister. I was more than happy to go to my room, be by myself with my books. <laughs> my sister couldn't stand to be alone with herself for more than 30 seconds. Now, because of my personality and, and, and general nerdiness, I learned to endure the general sort of teasing that, that occurs at the average elementary school playground. But uh, as I entered sixth grade and, and social interactions, uh, especially those between boys and girls, uh, became more of a thing, uh, I remember trying to copy what, what the popular guys wore, uh, thinking that I would uh, maybe perhaps catch the attention of this cute girl in my class. Her name was, was Brittany. And uh, to that end, I, I used enough gel in my hair to freeze time. I uh, copied the Zach Morris Saved by the Bell style that was popular at the time. For those of you without context, there's Zach in middle school and Zach in high school. And now I'm kind of embarrassed that I admitted this to you all. Please make that go away. <laughs> um, but I also unconsciously started changing my behavior to copy what the cool guys did. In fact, I didn't realize that I was trying to copy uh, what the cool guys did until a year later when uh, my family, we moved to Japan, and one of my buddies uh, wanted me to join drama club with him. There was this, this cute girl, and for some reason with boys, it's always girls. Um, there was this cute girl in drama club, and he was like, I ain't going alone. You're coming with me. So as a, as a wingman, I was like, all right. I went along to support my friend, and I quickly realized that I had a knack for acting. A knack that I would realize many years later was a function of me living a lie. Being both a people watcher and a people pleaser who moved around constantly as a child, I learned to, to watch people, to study people, determine what was liked and what was shunned, and then I would, chameleon-like, become whatever would keep me from getting teased or harassed by my classmates or rejected by girls. It didn't always work, but trying to be someone I wasn't to fit in was better than just being me. Because at the very least, if they rejected the fake me, they weren't rejecting the real me. How many of us know what that's like? We're afraid of people seeing the real us. So we engage in a variety of behaviors and that obscure or distract people from seeing just how messed up we are. 
I mean, social media is the perfect example of this. I mean, how many of us know all the perfect angles from which to snap that selfie, all the, the, the best filters, depending on the lighting situations? Okay. Or maybe we don't use social media, but instead maybe we use our kids or our grandkids as ways of making us look better than maybe we actually are. We're quick to share about our granddaughter who's studying to be a neurosurgeon at the University of Pennsylvania, or our son, who's the captain of the football team and valedictorian. But we never mention our pot-smoking dreadlocks grandson who quit college to live in a commune and be a lead singer in a reggae band. Or perhaps some of you are like me from 15 years ago who dread the meet-and-greet time in church because you're not quite sure if you're able to get the smell of... Uh, tequila and smoke off, and that everybody's going to know what you were doing last night, I mean six hours ago. <laughs> or maybe these statements don't describe you at all, but you know where these people sit. Don't look. <laughs> okay. We all have that sixth sense. They'll know that you're looking at them. Just keep that to yourself. Now, we all have things about us that, that we'd rather other people not see. Sometimes we deflect, uh, other times we distract, and sometimes we just try to cover it all up. But to quote the catchphrase from one of my, my favorite cartoons growing up as a kid, with, mo with most of us, there's often more than meets the eye. Scripture is often like that as well. There's more than meets the eye. We skim over a passage that we've read countless times, sure that we've heard all that God wants us to hear from this verse. And yet the word calls to us, begging us to slow down, look closer, see what else is going on. And that's how I feel about our passage today. I was uh, commenting to my friends and, and colleagues that the only passage that would be harder to preach on than the one I've been assigned is the, uh, the sixth commandment, which we all know is do not murder, right? We all know. Because the thing is, it's pretty unnecessary um, to fill the remaining 24 minutes and 45 seconds explaining the passage. Do not murder. <laughs> there ain't nothing else to say. Okay? To which one of my buddies was like, hey, well, there's nothing wrong with letting people out of service early. So in that spirit, don't judge. Uh, I'd like to call the ushers forward for communion and uh, just kidding. If you would, uh, please take out your, your Bibles, okay, or your, your Bible app, however you want to do it, and uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Okay? I'd like to invite you on a, on a journey with me through this passage to perhaps see more than is readily apparent. Okay? So it starts off, judge not, and you will not be judged. See what I mean? Seems pretty straightforward. In fact, uh, the, the section heading in my Bible uh, says, says judging others. I think the NIV says that too, right? It's like right above, it's like judging others. What more do I actually need to say? Well, quite a bit, actually. And not just because I'm Portuguese um, or because the order of worship says that I have to speak for 25 minutes. Okay? If you just take this sentence out of context, it doesn't actually make sense from a moral or from a logical standpoint. So in my ethics class, I, uh, I usually use what I unofficially refer to as uh, the pedophile or Nazi test. 
when we're assessing different uh, ethical approaches or systems. The basic test is that if the viewpoint we're examining approves or allows for Nazis or pedophiles, uh, then there is a high likelihood that the viewpoint is morally suspect. And if the system approves of Nazi pedophiles, uh, then the system is definitely flawed. Take, for example, moral relativism. You do you, I'm going to do me. What if you're a Nazi? Is that wrong? The answer is yes, yes, that's wrong. Okay? Now, if you apply that test to the statement, judge not and you will not be judged, are you actually allowed to judge Nazis, pedophiles, or Nazi pedophiles as evil? Or do you just say, well, Adolf, that's really not for me. But I wish you and your girlfriend, little Brigitte, all the best. <laughs> no, you do not. You call the police. Okay, because there are certain things in this world that are most certainly evil and should not be brushed off due to a misreading of Scripture. The statement, again, out of context, doesn't make logical sense either. Imagine the scenario. You're talking with your friend over coffee, maybe not Starbucks because maybe we're boycotting them, recounting your encounter with Adolf and Little Brigitte, and you say to your friend, you know, I don't think that was right. To which your friend replies, you shouldn't judge. Well, what has your friend just done? Think about it. Yeah, exactly. Yes, we got some feedback. I like that. Should is a word from ethics. The things we should do are good. And the things we should not do are bad. In telling you that you shouldn't judge, your friend is essentially making a judgment call on you which is why the proper response to the comments, you shouldn't judge, is, well, then why are you judging me? Now that we've got that out of the way, let's see if we can uh, expand our scope and get the point that Jesus is making here. So let's get 37 and 38 up there. So it says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, I'm pretty sure in, in most of our Bibles, uh, the passage is written kind of more like a sentence, right? There's, there's no break. But thanks to the power of, of uh, PowerPoint and the enter key and center formatting, uh, I can show you what it would look like if we were to line some things up. And I think in doing this, if we arrange the phrases like this, I think it makes it clearer what Jesus is talking about. We've got two negative phrases and two positive phrases, right? Don't judge, don't condemn, forgive, and give. This is known as parallelism. It's, it's the idea that the second line sort of reinforces or, or gives us more information about that first line. It gives us a, a clearer understanding, okay? And it's the word condemn that helps us understand what Jesus means when he says, don't judge. He's not saying, don't turn off your ability to identify right from wrong, but instead, you are not responsible for the trying, convicting, and sentencing of others. That is not your job. You are not God. I am not God. I want you to say that with me. Here we go. 
I am not God. Not entirely convinced. Let's try that again. I am not God. Okay? It is a very liberating statement. Okay? You should put that in your, like your bathroom. Write it on the mirror so that every morning when you brush your teeth, you see it. I am not God. Or better yet, you could tattoo it on your forehead in reverse so that anytime you look into any mirror, you will be reminded that you are not God. I am not God. It is so freeing to say that because it means that I don't have to be perfect and I don't have to waste my time pointing out all the little imperfections in other people. I tell this to my geometry students. I'll be doing calculations on the board and I'll forget to you know, carry the one or it's a negative and not a positive. And I say, you know, until the day comes when I like, walk on water and then turn the water into wine and stick a straw in it, I wouldn't do that in class. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm not God. I can't do that. That's not me. That's not my job. Because I mean, really, isn't it more the case that we often take the position of God and you know, expect perfection out of us, un ourselves, unrealistically? Or we expect perfection out of other people, unrealistically? Nobody ever wakes up in the morning and is like, oh man, I feel omnipotent today. Oh, where should I go today? Oh yeah, that's right, everywhere. Okay? No, nobody does that. Okay? But if you look at the verse that, that precedes this passage, you can see why Jesus would say this here. Okay? The verse before, okay, the one I'm not assigned, but the verse before says, be merciful, even as your father is merciful. And it's almost as if Jesus wants to cut his disciples off at the past by saying, I want you to be like God, okay, but not the judge part of God. I want you to be the merciful and forgiving and extravagantly gracious side of God, but the judging part of God, no, that's his job. Okay? Uh, Friday morning, I uh, woke my kids up uh, to get ready for school. Usually, um, I, I shave, and then I go wake them up, and then I go back and do my other thing um, so that they are ready when I am ready. And uh, about 10 minutes later, I hear from down the hall, uh, my son Enzo, and he was like, Ella, get out of your rack and get moving. We got to get going for school. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, buddy. So I went in the room, and it was like, thanked him. I was like, bud, man, I, I'm so glad. I know that if I'm not around, I can trust you to keep things in order. You are just like me. Now, in the spirit of this passage, Jesus might add, you are still not driving dad's car. <laughs> you can help Ella get her things in because you know she needs it, but car driving is dad's job. You help your sister. Which is why Jesus uses more words to describe the effect of the forgiving and giving. When we forgive and give mercy as our Heavenly Father does, we will receive a return that exceeds our expectations. John Stott uh, summed up the passage this way. And if you have a Bible app, I'm, I like to keep quotes, and so I make notes in my Bible app so that I can have it whenever I need it. Um, so if you do that, I would encourage you to do that or take out the notes app or whatever you do. Write this down. It's great. These are really smart. But it says, The command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. A plea to be generous. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be human by suspending our critical powers, which help to distinguish us from animals, but
but to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God by setting ourselves up as judges. I am not God. Let's say that one more time. I am not God. Yes. Now Jesus continues in verse 39 with a series of uh, absurd pairs of people who probably would have made the disciples literally laugh out loud until they realized that Jesus was talking about them. Let's get that passage up there. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both not fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, it's at this point that if I were still doing youth ministry, I'd offer to let two students uh, hit up the snack table early if they helped me out with a demonstration. And then I would blindfold the both of them and tell them to find the exit as we all uh, laughed at them as they tried in vain to make it out the door without destroying church property or seriously injuring themselves. Pastor Jerry is quite thankful that I don't do that anymore. The thing is, we all see, pun intended, what's going on here. Blind people can't lead blind people. That's both silly and dangerous. Think about that crosswalk right out there on Cocoa Head Avenue, the one that connects to the post office and the traffic patterns, people coming and going and making left and right turns. You send two guys out there with no stick and no dog, oh, that's a traffic fatality waiting to happen. Okay? That's absurd. Blind people do not lead blind people. That is dangerous. We don't allow for that. Don't do it. Okay? Now, there's this line of thinking in the uh, field of education that because there's so much information on the internet, the role of a teacher is to help students learn how to uh, access and evaluate the information as opposed to having them uh, internalize and, and memorize the information, which is why it's, it's quite possible for a student nowadays to, be, uh, to know more than her teacher, except that it's actually not probable because instead of using the internet to learn, most teenagers use it to watch YouTube and search for dank memes. If you do not know what a meme is, find the nearest millennial and ask them. <laughs> but even in days gone by, all you needed was a library card and a decent reading list, and you could be smarter than your teacher. But in the world of the first century that was occupied by Jesus and the disciples, there was no internet. There were no public libraries. And it would be impossible and disrespectful for a disciple to think that he was above his teacher. What makes this more poignant is that Jesus, who is a teacher, they called him rabbi, Jesus, teacher, is speaking to his disciples. He's essentially saying, you are not above me. But 
if you pay attention, you can be like me. If you pay attention, you can be like me. Now, the final pairing is definitely the most famous or perhaps notorious of the three. And it is delivered as a jab against the disciples. Again, notice who Jesus is talking to. In the context, he's talking to the disciples. That's who the you is. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? What makes the story really absurd is that if, uh, I'm going to call him Peter Plankeye, if, if Peter Plankeye does in fact have a giant log sticking out of his eye, then it is noticeable to everyone, including Simon Speckeye. Can you imagine the absurdity of someone with a large beam, or in this case a yardstick because I'm a geometry teacher, a large yardstick sticking out of their eye saying, hey, Jerry, uh, I hate to bother you, but uh, I think I think you got an eyelash like right there, like to the right of your iris. I think if you just let me like reach in there, I think I could totally get that get that out for you. Okay, no, he's gonna be like uh, one, you're nuts, and we need to file a workman's comp claim for psychiatric uh, issues. And two, you need to handle yourself first. Okay, you better get that thing out of your eye because you got bigger problems than an eyelash. And that's exactly, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. And in fact, the word he uses to describe Peter Plankeye is hypocrite. But unfortunately, our understanding of the word as uh, someone who, who says one thing but then does another, you know, this sort of uh, do as I do, not as I say, or do as I say, not as I do bit, um, might not actually be very helpful in us understanding what's going on. See, the Greek word behind the word hypocrite can also be uh, translated as pretender, faker. You're faking it, okay? Jesus is telling the disciples to stop pretending, stop faking, stop making it as if y'all don't have issues that you need to deal with. The disciples need to deal with their issues so that they will be able to see how to help others deal with the same issues. Jesus is basically saying, y'all are blind. Y'all need to pay attention. Stop pretending y'all got issues. And you know what? I got issues. Not just on my magazine rack either. I have issues. I want you to say that with me. Two, three. I have issues. One more time. I believe it. I have issues. We all have issues. Okay? We all got them. Okay? And Jesus closes out this section by sharing this illustration uh, about fruit. Okay? Let's get that up. Um, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For mangoes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are coconuts picked from a bramble bush. I know that's not what it says, but my boys like mangoes and coconuts. Uh, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, 
One of the reasons why I've chosen the ESV as my preferred Bible translation for this message um, is because it includes a translation of a, a tiny uh, Greek word um, with an enormous implication for our understanding of this passage. And that's actually what the word is. It's, uh, the English word is, is for. For. I know, it's, it's a really small word. You know, one syllable, three letters, for. But without it, we might miss what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand. Okay, see, the word for is an explanatory conjunction. Now, I know some of you are now having PTSD flashbacks to grammar school. And you're like, please, Lord Jesus, do not let this man make us diagram sentences. I do not want to do grammar in church. <sighs> Neither do I. It's going to be okay. We will make it out of here alive. Remember Schoolhouse Rock, right? Conjunction, junction, what's the function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. That's all a conjunction is. Just hook some things up. Now, explanatory. You know, I like the Socratic method in my classroom, asking questions, getting answers, asking follow-up questions. Obviously, kind of a larger a crowd here, so that might be a little bit difficult. But explanatory sounds like the word explain, right? If you speak Ricky Ricardo, and uh, explain if you speak English, um, explain, right? So an explanatory conjunction connects words, phrases, and clauses and explains, okay? So notice the word for connects us to the bit about Peter Plankeye and Simon Speckeye, and then uses the analogy or the, the parable of the tree and the fruit to explain it, okay? It's not hard. In other words, Jesus is saying, in the first part, stop pretending to be something you're not. Stop faking it. Handle your issue so that you can help your brother or sister with his or her issue. Because, and this is the four, pretenders get found out. Fakers get found out. If you know what you're doing, if you help your brother or sister out, everything will be good. Easy day. But if you only act like you know what you're doing, if you fake it, okay, not only are we all going to know, but you're probably going to make things worse. If our hearts aren't right, then what comes out of them won't be right either. So how do we get our hearts right? How do we stop pretending to be something we're not? First off, the good news. God doesn't just want us to, to get our acts together for our own sake or because he demands it. The creator of heaven and earth he wants to partner with us as he changes the lives of those around us. I mean, did you catch that earlier? First, clear your eye, then help your brother or sister clear theirs. Okay, Good trees produce good fruit. Uh, who benefits from the fruit? Mango tree produces mango. Who benefits from the mango? That's right, my son Enzo, he benefits from the mango, not the mango tree, okay? Coconut tree produces coconuts. Coconuts produce coconut water. Who benefits from the coconut water? My son Vika, not the coconut tree. The fruit is there for others. Now, here's the thing. I speak, I deal with teenagers, and uh, they speak at about 120 words a second, and so I know that along the way I may have lost some of you. If I have, two things. Okay. One, uh, if you download the podcast, most podcasting apps have a function where you can uh, slow it down to 50% speed. 
Okay? I encourage you to do that, and if you know people who have no clue what I just said, um, help them out. Okay? Planck, spec. Okay? Second thing, okay? this is the one thing I want you to walk away with, so pay attention. Okay? Before God does something through you, you need to let him do something in you. Okay? Before God does something through you, you need to let him do something in you. Now, I'm actually kind of glad that the schedules got flipped around and uh, uh, Mr. Bodden went before me because building your life on the words of Jesus is the way you start letting God do something in you. But it also takes an attitude of me first. I know it sounds opposite of, of what you expect to hear in church, but, but hear me out. If you struggle with identity, like I did as a youth, and who you are is wrapped up in what other people think of you, tell God, me first, so that he can help you take that plank out of your eye, and then perhaps one day you can help others find the root of their identity in him. If you know today that you aren't the person that you know God has called you to be, and you live under a facade of religiosity, tell God, me first. So that he can help you take that, that plank out of your eye. And perhaps one day you can be an, an instrument of freedom for those shackled by hurt, pain, and addiction. Now, if you're pretty squared away in, in one area of your life, uh, if you've come out of the struggle as, as more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, then tell God, me first. Okay? And bring the surgical precision needed to attend to a world of Simon's speck eyes a world in need of the extravagant forgiveness and mercy of God. Now, I mentioned my ethics class earlier. And while I perhaps shouldn't state this publicly, those juniors drive me nuts. <laughs> Lectures and discussions that are only supposed to take two class periods end up taking four weeks because they ask great questions and the rabbit trails we go down are just too enticing and I love it. Classroom management goes out the window, but we have really great discussions. So just the other day, we're going over current events. And in 11th and 12th grade, we introduced the current events part, uh, uh, portion to our Bible curriculum because I want the students to engage in the world. Um, we're not educating them so that they can just uh, live in a Christian enclave or a Christian ghetto away from other people, but we want them to engage. In order to engage, you have to know what's going on. And so we do current events. And so uh, we were talking about a bunch of stuff. We went from uh, discussing potential peace in the Korean peninsula uh, to the ethical ramifications of um, getting involved in Syria to the NBA finals to Kim Kardashian's pinky toe. Weird stuff. And apparently, actually, the, the last one, Kim Kardashian's pinky toe on Instagram, uh, that last topic got particularly heated as there were some students who were very knowledgeable about the comings and goings, births and deaths, and apparently grooming habits of celebrities, and other students who didn't understand why we even care. I mean, shouldn't we care more about uh, police officers and doctors and scientists um, who contribute more to our progress, uh, health, and safety uh, than a bunch of celebrities who read lines that other people wrote. Now, as I was trying to referee the debate, while keeping an eye on the clock, I remembered a sermon that I heard on Matthew 6, the part about storing up treasures in heaven. 
And I remember the main idea that the, uh, the pastor had hammered in that morning back in 2007. And uh, actually, as I was writing this, looking back on the situation, uh, I know that it was God that kind of brought that to mind, because there's no connection between Kim Kardashian's pinky toe and a sermon I heard in 2007. But the main idea uh, of his sermon was in the form of a question, and it was, how are you going to keep score? How are you going to keep score? So with two minutes left on the clock, I settled the students down, and I shared what I had learned previously. And how, while others keep score by degrees or dollars or likes and follows, um, based on this message that I heard, I had chosen to not only keep score by the calling of God in my life, but, but by the legacy I leave for my children, the words that they'll say about me at the coffee table after I'm long gone. I got a few aws from uh, the females in the room and perhaps one male. There was a little bit of bass or tenor in that aw. And then the, the bell rung. Maybe it'll stick with them, maybe it won't. Okay, but the lesson stuck with me, me first. And while I haven't lived long enough to, to learn enough, whatever I have learned, by the grace of God, I'm going to share it, but me first. And all of us, all of us, let us allow the great physician to fix us so that we can uh, scrub in and give him a hand. I want to be there with you but me first. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your word that uh, just speaks to us of your love, of your mercy, and your forgiveness. We thank you that we are not God and that you are God. We thank you that you are a merciful God, and we thank you that we get to not only experience that mercy and grace and forgiveness in our lives, but that we get to be a part of your plan to extend that mercy, grace, and forgiveness to the world around us. I pray that you'd help us to remember our position in all of this, that, that you are God and we are not, that the issues that we have can be dealt with in your ways so that we can help others see your truth. And lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.